Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing and assistance to each other. I aim to have conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matter, a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev, and this song is called Reincarnation. My guest today is the hypnotherapist and past life regressionist Steve Burgess. Our conversation is loosely focused on his new book, The Power of Past Life Regression, as we explore many of the fascinating issues that emerge from past life work. We talk about types of evidence for the reality of past lives, the deep importance of healing traumas and their link to physical illnesses, past life regressions as a historical research tool, and much more. Steve has led regressions for thousands of clients over the past 29 years and brings a wealth of insight and experiences to the subject matter. If you want to explore the role of past lives further, and I highly recommend we all do that as they are strongly shaping our present reality, you can go back to episode 8 where I talk about the significance of our past lives with Victoria Duda. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Steve. All right, so Steve, yeah, thanks so much for coming on and talking to me about your latest book, The Power of Past Life Regression. Thanks for having me on, Kim. I appreciate it. And, you know, I think I would like to jump in straight away with the topic we just briefly touched on before we started recording, and that is um, you were talking about your work as a hypnotherapist in past life regression has been something that has not always been well received um, within your profession. So I guess I'd like to explore that a bit. I'd like to explore, just hear from you. How did you get into, you know, as a hypnotherapist, then get into past life work? Mm. And what was your struggle to make that something that is more publicly acceptable? Okay. Um, if I answer the second question first, and, and the you know the hypnotherapy profession is um, is fairly sort of standard and old fashioned in a way when it comes to the concept of past life regression, and um, there is a, a, a strong sort of feeling in the hypnotherapy profession that when a person is in a past life regression, that they're actually not reliving <clears throat> to me anything that's real. They're actually imagining. A past life they're just creating this uh, and so therefore what they say is that all of the experiences a person has in um, a regression session are merely imagined created by the imagination and so can um, i just can i just clarify then in that case is it common for somebody because i've actually never done um i have done some past life regressions but i've never just gone to see a hypnotherapist um mm -hmm. so i'm curious is it common for a person to go and see a hypnotherapist maybe to give up smoking or something or, or to deal with some issue 
and spontaneously end up with content that you and I might interpret as a past life experience? Is that a common thing? or It's unusual, but it does happen. And that's exactly how I got into the, uh, the into past lives. Excuse me. <clears throat> so it's exactly what happened to me. And um, basically, I'd been practicing as a standard hypnotherapist for about six months. Uh, this is 29 years ago. Um, just doing standard hypnosis pr- process, which was to take people into trance, give them hypnotic suggestions, visualizations, and hope that that process would reprogram the subconscious mind um, in order to help help them to get better. And I was getting very mixed results. It was nowhere near as powerful as I'd been led to believe with my initial training. And then one day after about six months, a young man came in uh, for therapy into my office. And he was an absolute bag of nerves. He was suffering from a really severe anxiety state. And he sat in front of me, Kim, and he was shaking, he was hyperventilating, he was stuttering and stammering as he spoke. Um, He he was just a a complete bag of nerves. And so I said to him, so how long have you had this for? And he said, well, I've I've always been anxious, even as a child. But over the last few years, it's got worse and worse. And since the children came along, it's just completely taken over my life. I can't go to work anymore. <clears throat> I sit at home every day shaking. I can't do anything. Um, my wife said she'll divorce me if I don't get any better, which is obviously going to make things worse. Uh, the doctor's given me tablets, which have not worked, but they've actually made things worse. So it was a really severe case. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do my usual stuff. I guided him into trance, gently relaxed him. And as he moved into trance, he started to let go and relax. And I was very pleased to see that his breathing slowed down. And as I took him deeper into trance, his whole body just completely melted. And he was very in a very nice trance, very nicely relaxed. And I'm then thinking, well, this is a standard hypnotherapy session. I'll just give him some suggestions about not feeling anxious anymore. And then after about 10 minutes in trance of relaxing, all of a sudden, his whole body started to shake. And he started to shake violently in the chair. His breathing came fast. And then he started to half whisper and half shout. And he's saying things like, no, no. No, hide them quickly in here. Bring the children. Get the children. Bring them in here. Hide them. Hide. Be quiet. Be quiet. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. And then suddenly he started to scream and writhe and yell. And he's screaming, no, 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 not the children. No, no, no. Ah! And he was completely prone in the chair. I was pretty shocked. <laughs> and I said, how, how, are you okay? What's happening? How do you feel? I feel wonderful. He said, I feel absolutely relaxed. I am, I've never felt this calm in my life. I feel completely relaxed. I thought, well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what was happening? He said, well, it was strange. He said, I was, it was like I was a man. I was in another body in another time. And and soldiers were hunting for my family and me. We were trying to hide. There were Nazi soldiers. 
And then they found us and they came in and they shot and killed us. What's all that about? So I said, well, I think you've been in a past lifetime. I knew about past lives, of course, but I'm not trained in, in this. But I think you've been in a past life. I said, how do you feel? He said, I just feel wonderful. I feel absolutely marvellous. I've never felt this calm in my life before. His problem was cured in 10 minutes, Kim. And that hit me in the face. I thought, why do I know about this? This is significant. So I got some information through from an American Past Life Association, started to work with it. And then over the years, I've developed a system of working with regression, which um, is very structured and which I would say time after time proves the reality of this stuff, um, not that it's some sort of figment of a client's imagination. So I didn't lead him into that. I just guided him into trance. He spontaneously regressed. Mm. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but it does happen sometimes. So the question is, if this wasn't real, and here's a bloke in his 20s who has no knowledge of past lives and reincarnation, why did he do that in order to get better? So for my colleagues in the profession who would say this is, oh, it was just a, a metaphor, a historical metaphor created by his subconscious to get him better. Why? Why has the subconscious done that to get him better? That doesn't make sense. So going back to the, oh. the question, I have stood up and, and shouted the case for past life regression as being a credible therapy for 29 years now. And I will say, you know, finally, more and more therapists are taking on board the importance of past life regression. I've been running past life regression training courses for many years, training therapists in these techniques. And it is becoming more mainstream. It's certainly not mainstream, but it's becoming more and more widely accepted. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but the, the, I think the, the psychiatric sort of community, the psychotherapy community is very traditional, very old-fashioned, and very slow to move on with what I consider to be uh, important processes. And I guess I could imagine uh, another therapist who hadn't suggested to the client, or maybe that was a past life, could have... You know, could have been a very different response. So you obviously were already open to that possibility. Yes. And, well, I've been. Um, um, what's your own paradigm? So, so was that was that a paradigm shift for you to then start going? Oh, what's this thing about past lives? Or, or had you already had that already been in your life? Oh, I don't, already been in my my life very much. So I was um, about thirteen when I first stumbled on the concept of reincarnation, and finally, for the first time in my life life made sense until that stage the whole of life was just nonsense it just didn't make sense and then finding out accidentally reincarnation everything came into place for me I thought well of course that makes so much sense um, and then I sort of began a, a spiritual process a quest if you like um, I for some years moved into Buddhism and was practicing as a Buddhist um, for quite a few years and um, sort of knew, you know, read about reincarnation over the years. But certainly as a therapist, I never trained in it and never even suggested it to my clients until that day when this young man came in and regressed spontaneously. All right. 
And, um, you know, obviously your book focuses on, provides many, many case studies of, of different clients. Um, and the focus is always very much on that past life uh, factor. But I assume you would also agree that, you know, as human beings, there's a whole range of issues that we deal with and that maybe some of our factors are also parental, you know, early attachment issues, birth traumas, even all those kinds of factors that come into it. So how would you place past life therapy into the wider, into sort of a wider therapeutic context? To me, it's, it's part of the overall regression process. So the, the regression model is that all of our issues as human beings come from locked in feelings and emotions from past traumas. That's all of our issues, whether that's depression, a lack of confidence, phobias, anxieties, sexual problems, addictions, lack of confidence, etc., etc., etc. All of our issues are caused by locked-in feelings and emotions from past traumas. And in regression, there are three areas that we regress back into. This lifetime, past lives, our ancestors' lives. So a regression therapist isn't just focusing on past life work. So many of my clients, we do regression back into this lifetime. Most of us have got childhood baggage. Most of us have childhood wounding, which needs to be healed. Um, so many of my clients go back into memories from childhood in order to release the traumatic uh, pain from those memories. Rebirthing, we often go back into the birth to relive the birth experience, to relive birth, release birth trauma. Uh, time in the womb, uh, we can be traumatized in the womb. Um, I had one client years ago who relived when he was in the womb. Uh, in trance, uh, he remembered that his father tried to abort him by punching his mother in the stomach. And in trance, again, this was quite dramatic. He was rolling around with his head like these hands over his head saying, no, no, no. And he was screaming and crying. He was just reliving being this helpless little baby in the womb that was possibly going to die. Um, so we move back into this life. Past lives, for me, there can be many, there several past lives at the heart of a client's problem, as well as traumas in this life. And also we can inherit traumas through from our ancestors, uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. So, regression is about going back into the past. That's all it basically means, is to go back into the past. It's a natural process. It's a thing we all do every time we think about yesterday. Uh, that's a regression. Um, so in trance, of course, in therapy, we're taking people into a more focused state and letting the subconscious move back to recapture the memories, relive them and release them. So you're absolutely right. We still... You know, it's no good just talking about past life regression in terms of therapy if a person wants to get better. Sometimes it's just past lives. Sometimes it's past lives and traumas in this life. Um, and we go really where the subconscious needs us to go to in order to clear the problem. And when the, when the trauma is cleared, the client gets better naturally. Yeah. yeah. And, and you advocate, um, you know, in your book for really for therapy for all of us, right? That we're really all... Uh, need um, regression yeah. to heal trauma, and I really, I really agree with that. I think trauma is the big 
burden that we carry on all those levels that you mentioned, intergenerational, our own multi-existential history and so yeah. on. But I'm curious, um, you know, what, what do you think is the difference uh, <clears throat> between regression therapy and other therapies? So, for example, like I noticed in your anecdote after anecdote in your book, people have these, they reconnect with certain traumatic experiences and that's kind of it. It, it lifts. You know, sometimes there are multiple they have to connect with, but it appears to be that essentially connecting with the memory releases the energy, which is quite different from the experience that we might have going to a talking therapy where you might deal with, you know, you, you, you're dealing with a trauma, you're connecting with it, you think you are, you're talking to the therapist about it. And then next time you're still there and you can, you know, this can go on for a long time. What do you, what do you think yeah. is the difference? Well, it's the old um, Richard Bandler quotes. You know, Richard Bandler, one of the co-creators of NLP. NLP, it certainly NLP doesn't really use regression, um, although they do have a regression process called timeline therapy, but primarily it doesn't. And he said, he he um, he says some nasty things about talking therapies. You know, you know, he says, well, tell me about the rape for the fifteenth time, and you know, that's a little bit over the top, but there is an element of truth in that in that um, talking therapists tend to go over and over the same stuff with the hope that eventually it will soften down. That's a, I know it's a generalisation, but that's essentially what is happening in a lot of talking therapy. There are other therapies which use complicated procedures to throw things around in the mind or to see things differently, um, whereas regression therapy is very simple. It's very simple. And, and I often say therapy is very simple. The cause of all of our problems are locked in feelings and emotions from past traumas. If we, if we can work in those traumas and release them, there's no need to do anything else. Yes, you can do other things. I mean, as a hypnotherapist, I use hypnotic suggestions a lot um, in order to, in to sort of put some new suggestions, new thoughts into the subconscious. But that process is often relatively valueless in terms of if a client has got a big bucket full of emotional stuff negative emotional stuff anger sadness fear anxiety and guilt and in their subconscious there's this big bucket full of emotional negativity simply putting positive suggestions into that maelstrom of negativity the positive suggestions just get just neutralized dissolved away in the negativity However, if we can release the negativity, then put the positive stuff in, then the positive stuff works much more easily. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes that makes makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, something about connecting with the energy helps release it. it seems, yes. Right. You know, this isn't a, a fun therapy. Um, it can be very emotional, but as Virginia Satia said. Nobody, nobody dies from crying. So just release it. It's okay to do that. I mean, okay, uh, I do have some quite dramatic experiences, sometimes, not very often, in regression. And obviously some of these are detailed in the book where clients are really reliving at a very deep level the, the past life experience. Um, and also a lot of past life therapy is death therapy 
is releasing death trauma. I would say maybe 70 to 80% of past life therapy is releasing death trauma. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, you. so you say um, traumatic deaths often need to be relived and mm. you have a, there's a quote here from your book. Usually if a person has a substantial fear of dying, uh, as one of your clients had that you talk about in your book, I suspect that there are some traumatic incidents in previous lives that are lurking around in the mind. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I was curious that the vast majority of deaths that people remember in your book saw them the moment of death was like an immediate release and then they're light and they see themselves floating above and, and so on i yeah. mean i haven't i haven't read all your cases I, I saw one where it was different um where the person went into quite a was really attached to their rage at people and then they got stuck but i was mm. curious about that because that's you know in my um sort of long-standing interest in providing energetic assistance to people who've died. Um, there's, it's well documented in, among people that do that work that a lot of people, when they die, they don't immediately float off into a light, right? They hang around, they are caught in their emotions, they're caught in their denial. Um, and so I was, I was intrigued that that wasn't a big theme, in, in, even in traumatic, even in some of the traumatic deaths. That's a really good question. Very intelligent question, actually. It really is. Um, it, it doesn't. It, it does happen in a percentage, not a large percentage of cases. This is in my experience as a therapist that, um, that when we die, when a person dies, a few people stay around. They do hang around on earth, um, and that's sometimes because they are very deeply attached to what has been happening. Sometimes it's about staying around the family. Sometimes, as you said, I had one client who was so angry about what had happened to her. Um, I think she'd been killed as a witch. And I've had a lot of, I've had hundreds of sessions over the years where people have been killed as witches. And she hung around in order to punish the people, try to punish or influence from the other side, put negative influences towards the people that had done this to her. But my experience is that it's re really quite unusual. As a general rule, when we die, it's a question of floating off and just moving off into spirit fully and feeling the, the peace and the calmness. And um, it may be that's because a lot of the deaths which are traumatic, um, it's been such an unpleasant experience to die in that way that it's just a relief just to get out of it and move off. Mm. But the interesting thing is for me around this is that that is a common theme, a common story, which hundreds, if not thousands, well, it's thousands of clients have experienced in my sessions. And bear in mind that most people who come to me have no real knowledge or interest in either past lives or reincarnation um, or what happens after death. But there is this common theme. When we die, there's this enormous sense of relief a real calmness as if, oh, thank goodness for that, it's over. And the peace that people feel after they die um, is immense. That's a common theme. And, I, you know, it's unusual for people to say the same thing time after time when they have no knowledge of this. Mm. And one of the beautiful things about past life therapy, and this is a byproduct of past life regression, is that it often helps a person accidentally to lose a fear of dying. It's 
quite remarkable. I always say I don't make any extra charge for that. The client may come with a phobia and they'll go away feeling, well, I don't have to fear death anymore. Um, and that's a wonderful byproduct because so many people are frightened to death of dying. And when they realize, well, all we're doing is slipping off from one set of clothes and we're going to put a new set of clothes on at some stage in the future, then it, it's just a relief for them. Yeah, yeah, it really shifts your focus of uh, self-identification, right? And and um, also the, the 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 scope of what you are doing in this life right now, the sort of um, the history of everything that led up to where we are right now, and and what will happen in yeah. the future as well. Well, I think also you know people then start to realise that maybe karma, the law of karma, is actually a reality, and maybe. I've got to think seriously about that now and make things better in this life for the future. So start to take responsibility for myself in this lifetime. And therefore that will affect how things are in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned, uh, and I think it's a really good point that the fact that so many clients have the same experience when it comes to these memories of death has some evidentiary value because that is not um, that it's not something that people perhaps even ever thought about. Are there any other aspects of the process of seeing so many clients go through that um, somehow you you consider to be evidentiary for past lives? You know, for the critics that that think it's all just subconscious or um, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a, there's a few things there. One is that um, certainly for me as a as a therapist, I don't lead the clients and I don't talk about past lives usually in advance or anything like that. That's another accusation made against us that um, we lead the client into a past life where they're almost going there to please the therapist, which is complete nonsense. You know, the client goes there if the subconscious wants them to go there. Um, and we don't sort of say to the client, well, the cause of your depression is probably coming from past lifetimes because immediately you're implanting something. No, no, no. A good therapist stays completely neutral. Uh, we'll see if we can work on the causes of the problem and, and wherever they come from. But more in terms of evidence for me are those cases where the client gets detailed information in the therapy session from the past life, which they can later prove to be true. Now, from my work, I don't go looking for detailed information very much. My role is to help the client to get better. But certainly over the years, I've certainly had some clients who have come up with specific information. Um, and for example, okay, we're talking about, this is my new book, The Power of Past Life Regression, but my first book, Famous Past Lives, was about some people who came to me who appear to have been very famous in past lifetimes. Um, one of whom, uh, well, that's, <laughs> this is an interesting experience for me. Do you want me to share this a little bit, widen it up a yeah, little bit? Yeah, go for it. And I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question by coming around to that, if right. I may. Um, so some years ago, I had a phone call from a lady who said, can you help me? Something strange has happened. She said, um, I work in an office and... The other day, there's a man in the office. We, we, you know, we're friends. We get on well together. We're just on a professional level. But he passed me a file. And has, as our hands touched, I got an immediate 
reaction inside. And she said, I've just got an immediate image of this woman dressed in a long flowing dress with long sort of reddish blondy red hair. And I felt a massive sense of frustration. And she said, ever since that happened, I haven't been able to get this image out of my head or this feeling of frustration out of my body. She said, do you know what it could be? So I said, well, it could be past life. This is one of the few occasions where I talk about past life. It could be. But I said, well, let, we can investigate. Let's see. So she came for a session. Uh, we had a quick chat. Then I guided her into hypnosis, gently relaxed her, asked her subconscious to take her back to this image of this lady. And immediately she started to relive an experience in which she was a um, obviously a very well-to-do woman. And she was in... It was several hundred years ago in an old oak panelled room and she was waiting for somebody to arrive and she was very frustrated. She couldn't wait to see this person. In fact, as she laid in my chair, her fingers were strumming on the arms of the chair. She was just so tense. And then this man came in through the door and that's the man she's been waiting for. And they fell into each other's arms and it was kissy-kissy and lovey-lovey and it was obviously they were having a love affair. I thought, okay, well, that's that's answered the question what this is about. It's a past life. But there's nothing special in that. But then what happened is, well, I said, just go a little bit further in the life. Go to another scene in that life and maybe get a, a sense of what it's about. And she then moved to a scene where she was sitting in a very large room with hundreds of people looking at her. And she was raised up almost on a stage on a big chair. And a man came over to her and he bowed and he said, your majesty. Oh, that's interesting. So my ears pricked up. So we did a bit of investigation in the session. And she actually started to feel that she was in that past life, Queen Elizabeth I of England. Now, I'm... I've always been very sceptical. I'm a very sceptical person. So I don't take stuff at face value. And I thought, well, okay, this is because anybody, I used to hear people who claim to have been famous in past lives. And I'd at that stage done maybe, I've done thousands of past life sessions. I've been working for 10 years. And I'd never had a single person who claimed to be famous in a past life in a session. They'd all been farmers and soldiers and builders and peasants and slaves and whatever else. And I used to, anybody who claims to be famous, I would say, well, it's just their ego. They can't be a peasant like the rest of us. Um, it's, just it's, one of the, it's one of the cheap critiques that sometimes gets leveled at past life. But, oh, there are so many Cleopatras and so on. Absolutely. When yeah. that isn't yeah. actually it's the case. Giant. And it just isn't the case. No. Um, absolutely. So we finished the session and I said, well, I'm, my interest is peaked now. Shall we do, a, have you done any research on Queen Elizabeth? She said, no. She said, I've always been fascinated with her. I have always had a fascination with her, but I've never done any in-depth research. So, so why don't we see if we do some more sessions? So we did some more sessions. And what this lady did in the sessions, she relived the passionate love affair that Queen Elizabeth I had with Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. Now, this is historically well known that they were very much in love. And in fact, Dudley even asked her to marry him, which she couldn't do because she was a, a royal and he was just a nobleman. 
And when he asked her to marry him, she realised things had gone too far. So she sort of broke off the relationship and then broke her own heart, really. But in the session, she relived having these, this passionate love affair with Robert Dudley. Um, and she put <laughs> the history books right, if you like, because Queen Elizabeth I has always been known as the Virgin Queen. She never got married. She never gave herself to a man because she was the queen for the country. Her, her country was her husband. This was the idea. Oh, no, 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 no. She wasn't the Virgin Queen. No, no, no. <laughs> In one of the sessions, she actually relived having sex with Robert Dudley. And, and this is bizarre stuff because in front of me, in the chair in trance, she orgasmed. Right. She had a 400-year-old orgasm, <laughs> which is pretty bizarre stuff. <laughs> so um, I always remember we finished the session, we both had a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how was it for you today? Um, it, it was a bizarre thing. Now, okay, that's all sort of interesting, but she then came up again with information which verified things. She uh, relived the experience of Elizabeth being told that Dudley had died some years later as she approached her old age. Robert Dudley died and she was told and she experienced for several days just locking herself in his room in agony, just crying and weeping. And she also experienced as Elizabeth, finding his last letter to her, folding it up, writing on it his last letter, and putting it in a, in a special box that she had. That letter exists, and it was found in a special box of Queen Elizabeth's. So that's historically factual. And it's known that she did again lock herself in a room for several days in misery. So again, I don't think she'd have known that. But she then went further. I suppose, she, you could, but she could have known it. I mean, she could have, these, these are documented facts. She could have researched it. and she, she could somehow have heard that, somehow, possibly. But she went further because in our final session, she relived giving birth to a child as Queen Elizabeth. And the child was taken away from her as soon as it was, as soon as she gave birth. And it was smuggled out of the palace and it was looked after by some courtiers or some other people. She never saw that boy again. Now, when she relived this in the session, I thought, well, that's rubbish. We know that Elizabeth didn't have a child. And at that stage, I began to question everything we'd, we'd experienced in the sessions. And she was surprised as well. But she said, well, that's what happened. I can't say anything else. You know, this is what happened to Elizabeth. So I did a bit of research, and then I found <clears throat> that there is some information about a young man who I think in the early 1600s was shipwrecked off the coast of Spain and survived and was taken to Spain and ended up in the Spanish court. And he claimed to be the love child of Elizabeth and Robert Dudley. And he was then taken into the Spanish court and looked after as uh, as a nobleman, um, and his his story was believed. Now that for me was wow. How could she know this? Because I would suggest that even most people who have done some research on the life of Elizabeth wouldn't have known that. So that was pretty factual. But then what happened? An even more strange strange thing happened. A few months later, another lady came to me for therapy. And 
to cut a long story short, she appears to be the reincarnation of Queen Mary, the elder sister of Queen Elizabeth. And this lady was a housewife living in the middle of England. She'd never even read a, a word about that period of history. But we did more regression sessions, and she came up with specific, detailed information. <clears throat> I had to ferry it through into history books to find that information was completely true. So when this type of thing happens in, in regression sessions, um, this specific information comes through that is then verified. For me, it's very hard to say that that person would have read that information in a book because they would have to study that period of history. They would never have heard this detailed information, even if it was a, a general documentary about that person on the TV, it wouldn't be mentioned. So when this detail still comes through, I think that's pretty good evidence. Yeah, it's also, um, it, I, I think so too. And at the same time, you know, it is one of those spaces where I think it's fair to say that they could have studied it. They could study it. You know, you can evaluate, you know, the client, you think it's highly unlikely. But in terms of, um, you know, convincing people who have a very sceptical mind and who are not in contact, there's always that, that unknown factor. But what I'm curious about I mean, that's what I mean for me. What it opens up is really a door of historical inquiry through this work, right? I, I mean, I find reading the accounts in your in your book through my own experiences, um, having had regressions, it's kind of like it opens up history in a way that is very, very different from the the existing pathways of studying old documents and so on. Which that would be a whole another avenue, I would imagine, historical inquiry through through regression. Um, I, I do. I agree. I wish it could happen. I mean, I, if I would love to be funded to do regression sessions solely for historical information, mm. and uh, you know, have researchers then looking at the historical information and seeing if it was real or not, or trying to find the documents uh, that that that, that, um, that suggest it's all real. Yeah, that would be really exciting. But the other thing I'm curious about, um, it's one thing I was going to ask you, is this the concept that um, in conscienciology, the discipline that I study around consciousness, we call karmic groups. So groups of people who go through different lifetimes and the period between lifetimes together. And so, you know, you touched a little bit on that with the, the, the lady who may have been Queen Elizabeth I re-meeting a man who may have been her lover in that past life. And then yes. you mentioned her sister. Did those two women know each other, the Mary and no, Elizabeth? They, no, they didn't. And um, it was interesting because when I got them to meet, I actually asked them both when the when it was this stuff came through. I asked them if they wanted to meet up, and they both said yes. I said, "Well, obviously we're breaking confidentiality here. Are you happy to do that?" And they were perfectly happy. They were fascinated. Now, when I and I got them to meet. We, we uh, met up one evening in, in, in Lincoln in England. Now, what I expected to happen was that when they first met each other for the first time in 400 years, that they would run weeping into each other's arms and be hugging. <laughs> what happened was completely the opposite. As they drew together to do that, they were moving to hug, and then they both immediately recoiled and merely shook hands and then stood back. 
there was an, a recoil, which really it just surprised me. But then, of course, it has to be remembered, in their past life, initially, they were, uh, Mary was very fond of Elizabeth, but ultimately became, they became bitter enemies. And they hated each other with a vengeance, with a passion. Right. So that, that energy of dislike and distaste was, was the, the foremost thing when they met for the first time. Um, but yes, we do appear to live in uh, groups of souls. I call them clusters of souls. Um, and if you sort of think about these clusters of groups of souls around the edges closer to the middle, for me, it's the the souls close to the centre of the groups that we tend to get reincarnated with time after time in different ways. Um, and, um, you know, in a significant way. So, you know, it may be that we meet the milkman occasionally, but, you know, but our significant souls are the ones close to the centre of our cluster. And we do seem to get reborn around these souls time after time over, over many lifetimes in different ways. Sometimes, you know, your mother now can be your brother in a past life or child, et cetera, et cetera. And do you get the sense of certain themes that are playing out that we have to, I don't know, like like resolve the relationship of having, a, you know, the animosity of siblings or supporting each other or creating something together or things like that? Yeah. There appear to these patterns that occur over many lifetimes. And so, again, this for me is massively important in therapy because if we're not aware of the pattern we can't break it and there's a possibility we will take that through into future lifetimes so regression therapy is a, not just about releasing trauma most of it is that but some of it is about becoming aware of the patterns and the and be, the connections from past lives into our present life and when we have that awareness then that pattern tends to be laid to rest uh, and then we can, then we're free from it for the future. Uh, but these are threads, if you like, that go from life to life to life. And over many lifetimes, hopefully we're able to release them so they're no longer active. And then we are less reactive. Mm. Have you applied this in your life? Like, have you done regression sessions with other therapists and kind of used yeah. it in your own? Yeah, yeah very much so. I mean, I... I um, I've had one of the problems for me as a therapist, and I'm non-visual, so I can't see the past lives when I experience them. Uh, I tend to feel them and get an intuitive sense of them. Um, but for example, over the past year, I had a major trauma in my life at the start of last year, and I thought, okay, I need to work on this. I knew that that trauma was part of my spiritual development, so I've been having therapy since then and working on the roots of it and um and i'm much better now um, <laughs> it's really helped um and that has helped me to sort of come to terms with the trauma um but i've certainly had uh, some past lives where which have been concerned with loss mainly um one past life i appear to have been a, a woman several hundred years ago whose husband went off to war never came back and left me with a child and, um, you know, I died soon after that, uh, I think in childbirth. So um, releasing these past lives, especially in the last year, has really helped me to be much less reactive in myself. Um, and I've been fortunate at the same time to 
have a major learning in terms of accidentally slipping into uh, non-duality teachings and um, um, that sort of process of, of non-duality, of living in awareness as much as possible, has really helped me to really uh, change who I am in a way, change my reactions to the world. Um, so that is I, what I often say about therapy, Kim, is that most of us have, are overreactive. We spend a lot of our times um, being really overreacting to things in life, and that isn't good for us. What happens is we don't realize that subconsciously, all the time we are reacting to our emotional baggage subconsciously. If we can release the baggage, then uh, we become less reactive. We become calmer. And it's then easier for us to live a calmer life. It's easier for us to meditate because there's less stuff bouncing around in the mind, which we are reacting to all the time. So for me, answering your question is, you know, regression therapy has not only helped me to soften my emotional pain, but it's also helped me to be less reactive, which has meant that I'm now in a better state spiritually because I'm able to be more focused and, and, and just be, uh, you know, just aim to live in the world and just be in the now as much as possible. Mm. Yes, and interestingly enough, it's it's through really going into the past, right? That that brings you into the present. I think yeah, that's such sure. an important that's such an important piece because I feel that's often missed um, in the in the. There's a risk of that in the non-duality uh, approaches of just just being present and just let go of the past, right? But it's actually by going into the past and really connecting with the the, the hard parts that we yes. um, are able to be present. I truly believe that. And much as I love, you know, the teachings of Eckhart Tolle, the power of now, um, much as I love the, the work of Rupert Spirer and other non-duality teachers, uh, I, and I respect them massively, that, it, you know, the emphasis on being in the now is so important. But I do feel if we are reacting all the time to emotional stuff, it makes it harder to be in the now. But release the emotional stuff, release that energy, the mind calms down, we become less reactive. That makes it easier to be in the now. So I totally agree with you. It's, yeah. you know, it, I think it's a nice combination. Um, I, for me, it helps people on their spiritual path as well as release emotional baggage. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you a couple of about a couple of specific, uh, uh, you know, incidents from your book. So you talk about a woman you call Tony who lost her son, and um, she's. This is the thing about this is kind of intrigues me about the relationship between the physical life and the extra physical life because she remembers the and she I think from memory she struggles in this life. Um, with the trauma of losing her son in a previous lifetime. But she also then remembers in the regression actually being reunited with her son when she herself died, um, mm. being reunited extra physically. And so then that raises the question for me, if her trauma was in a sense resolved in that time, right? She, she, at that time, she remembers the, the euphoria of seeing her son again. 
and that love, why is it carrying through again in this physical life? It's, it's almost as if we somehow subconsciously remember the pain of the past life, but we do not remember the extra physical experience. So I was curious mm. if you have any thoughts about that. Gosh, I, I mean, I'm not sure why this happens, um, but certainly um, it, it just may be that the when we are traumatized in the physical body, then that trauma has a, a big impact on us. It remains in our energy field and we bring it through from a past life into the present energy field. So it may be that that trauma is just locked in, whereas once we die, we release our body. And therefore, um, there's almost like there's nothing for that trauma to be locked into because our body doesn't exist anymore. Our energy field is lighter. It's a different energy field. So it may well be that then it's the, the, the trauma just isn't really there anymore after we die. Mm. And then it comes back when we resume a more physical body and more physical energies. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Well, it does. And in fact, as I was asking it, I, I was kind of, as I was asking it, I was getting a similar sense that it's actually, it's something to do with the, the frequencies that the experience is happening in this dimension <laughs> And then we're back in this dimension and those memories somehow carry across. Yes. Whereas the other dimensions, uh, there's, it's like we can't remember so much yeah. uh, about the period in between. I was actually going to ask you about that, whether you, um, because I know, I think, is it Michael Newton? I think one of the past life uh, regressionists who kind of, I think it's him, right? He specializes on that period in between lifetimes. Um, is that something that you explore much with your clients or, or does it come up with clients? Yeah, I don't explore it very much because it's not really part of the work for me. Um, I mean, I, I, Michael Newton's book, The Journey of Souls, is a fantastic book. Um, it's almost as good as my book, but it is a fantastic book. Um, and all of his work, <laughs> it's terrible to say that, um, all of his work is in between lives, as you say. And he comes up, his people come up with very detailed information about what appears to happen when we're in the spirit world, you could say. Um, I get some uh, of that coming through in sessions, but I don't really look at it too much because my job is to release the trauma. So for me, that's an additional thing. However, I have had clients over the years who have come up with relatively detailed information about what happens when we die and this idea of moving off um, um, going to halls of learning where there are spiritual elders there, where we review the life that we've just lived. Uh, we get a sense of the, the mistakes we made um, and we understand what we've done from a much higher perspective. Um, and then the soul is allowed to heal for some time or it's recommended, right, it's, you're going to be reborn soon. And the new life is sort of, vaguely planned out it's not set in stone um the, that type of stuff comes through occasionally and um but not too often and i don't go looking for it too deeply because for me my role is to heal the client's issue now and i'm not really looking for that into life information at any real depth but it does come through sometimes yeah and occasionally like we said earlier some clients don't move on for some time. They remain earthbound as what we would know as a ghost. 
and um, before the some stage do move on. Sometimes it can be centuries in Earth time before they're actually before they leave the Earth realm and move up fully into spirit. Mm. And do you find um, obviously in your book uh, you summarize many many sort of success stories, people that very rapidly um, have transformative experiences. Do you have other clients where it's uh, maybe hard for them to enter hypnosis or they don't really connect, nothing really comes up, um, you yeah. know, or it takes them many sessions to get anywhere? Yeah. You know, nothing works 100%. Nothing works for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, there are some clients who, as you say, struggle to get into trance to any real depth. Um, some clients just can't regress. They just cannot regress and uh, regression just doesn't suit them. But uh, I would say that probably 80% of people who come to me are able to regress um, and get into reasonable um, levels of regression experiences. But there's a small percentage who just can't, and that's just the way of it. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes therapy can take some time. I mean, the beautiful thing about hypnotherapy and regression therapy is it's relatively fast especially concern com, when you um, compare that with talking therapies and psychoanalysis, of course, which can go on for years. Um, the nice thing about this is it is relatively fast. And I always say to my clients, if I can't help you, we would know very quickly. So if this doesn't work, it doesn't work quickly. You don't have to have two years of therapy and then get told, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Yeah. No, no, no. It works quickly or it doesn't work. So, uh, but, you know, some clients can get better in two or three sessions, very occasionally one session, um, very, very occasionally. Uh, one of my biggest successes was a lady who um, she was an alcoholic for 16 years, a functioning alcoholic. In one session, the need to drink alcohol was just went, just completely went away. Mm. It was just remarkable. Yeah. You know, she lived past lives on in the First World War. She was killed in the trenches. Um, she was fed to lions in Christian in Roman times in an amphitheater. Um, in one session, she just never she never drank again. The life was transformed. And there are other clients; they may need twenty five sessions. You know, it depends on the depth of the stuff we're working on, uh, how good they are in trance, of course. And that's the the thing. Some people are naturally gifted when it comes to hypnosis. Maybe 25, 30% of people are very good at hypnosis naturally. It's an ability that they have. And with that 25 to 30% of people, they will nearly always be able to regress. Um, so for some people, it just it suits them absolutely down to the ground. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so it, it doesn't work for everybody. But when it works, it is just remarkable. It just takes your breath away sometimes. Mm. And the skill of the client's subconscious. It has this awesome knowledge. It's, it, I, I nowadays believe, after doing this for 29 years and doing this for 15,000 sessions, that our subconscious is our higher self. I believe we have a higher self. And I believe the subconscious either is the higher self or is, or is so intimately connected to the higher self that um, it just has this awesome wisdom and it knows what to do for the client. And when we let the subconscious do the work, so a lot of the role of the therapist is facilitating, not making anything happen, and just let the subconscious come through and do the work. 
And there are times, even after 29 years, Kim, my breath is taken away by the wisdom and the, the skill of the subconscious mind to heal the client. Mm. Yeah, so that inner wisdom. And so maybe in some cases, it's even that aspect that is stopping the process because for whatever reason that we can't even ascertain, it's not the right time for the client to connect with that aspect of themselves. Could be, could be. Maybe that the subconscious thinks we're not ready yet. Yeah. You know, not ready. And and that's another aspect of, ther- of regression therapy is the subconscious protects the client. So it doesn't give them too much. Um, you know, I always make sure in the regression system that I teach, that I've created, that I use, that we ask the subconscious before we regress, is it okay for us to regress? And if it says no, then we don't do it. If it says yes, then it's okay to do. If it says no, it's not okay to regress the person. It means that it's not safe for that person. It means that they will not be able to integrate Mm. the trauma into their life now. So they might be re-traumatized instead of integrated. Yeah, Exactly. So that hardly ever happens, but it does happen. So if we respect the subconscious, it knows what's best for the client. Mm. And um, so, you know, it has this amazing wisdom. I mean, for example, working with children in regression. And, um, you know, I, I talk about, I mean, death traumas and clients dying horribly and screaming and yelling, which occasionally happens, but certainly often crying and shaking. You can think, well, is it is it safe to take a child into regression? It is because the subconscious when they go into a past life, the past life isn't the real past life. It really is more of a metaphor or a fantasy past life. So as an example, I had a lad came who was, I think, about 10 years old with a lack of confidence. And he had a couple of past lives. And and one of them, he lived a past life living on on the beach, on a seashore, or maybe a desert island or some sort of island, living in the sunshine every day, quite carefree, picking up seashells and just playing on the beach in the past life. And I think, what on earth's that got to do with a lack of confidence? Because a lack of confidence is always caused by fear inside the person. Mm. And the, the lad got better. His confidence was boosted marvellously. Well, <laughs> what's how is that a real past life? I don't for one minute believe that was. But his subconscious brought it through as a past life experience for him to get better. So when we work with children, um, even although even if they go into some horrible stuff, they don't go into it as deeply as, a, as an adult will. So I had a boy came with uh, migraines. He was about 13 years old. Um, and he was getting migraines every few weeks, and he was missing school every few weeks. Very intelligent kid. And um, his mother brought him and sat in the session. She wanted to sit and watch what was happening. And his subconscious indicated that there were eight past lives causing the, causing the migraines. Now, my experience with migraines is that they are usually caused by deaths in past lives where there have been blows to the head. Not always, but usually. And this lad was a fast worker. In one hour, we went through just over an hour. We worked through all eight past lives. 
And although there was trauma, there wasn't trauma like my first client, Gary, who was screaming and yelling in the chair. No, no, no. He went into each death and went into it, released it, and moved on to the next one. So just as an example, I mean, he, um, he... he went into the first past life. So, and bear in mind, again, this is a 13-year-old boy with no conception of past lives and reincarnation. He's just got these terrible headaches. He didn't come to me to prove the reality of past life regression. His subconscious said there were eight past lives. He went into the first past life when he was in trance and is a young man driving a car. Um, and a, a truck comes into, smashes into the side of the car, um, and he smashes his head on the steering wheel, <laughs> dead. And he went straight into the next past life, where he was a man standing in his garden, and his wife was having an affair with his best friend, and she comes up behind him with a big spade, smashes him around the back of the head, <laughs> dead. And he went into the next past life, where he was a warrior in battle, and somebody brings an axe, <laughs> smash dead and he went into the next past life where he was an old man climbing up some wooden stairs and the stairway gave way and he falls and lands on his head dead and he went into the next past life where he was fighting in a bar he was a man fighting in a bar and he gets smacked to the ground and then they're kicking him in his head dead and he went into the next past life um, where he was a young boy at school and he and he kicks the school bully so the school bully gets hold of him and starts smashing his head into the wall. He dies on the way to hospital, etc., etc. <laughs> we went through all eight past lives just in such speed. There was no crying or anything like that. It was just experiencing it. That released the energy. And I always remember this. I turned around at the end of his session to look at his mom, and his mom was just sitting there <laughs> with her mouth open, her jaws <laughs> the migraines got better. It, they, were, they were cured in one session. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm saying is subconscious protects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it would seem quite miraculous to, to witness that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, this is one of the great things with physical problems. You know, physical problems always have emotional causes. I mean, in my experience, Louise Hay in her book, You Can Heal Your Life, as it, I thought 25 years ago, this was rubbish. For me now, it's, it, I just think she's got it almost certainly right, that the emotional causes of illness have to be looked at. And Okay, big pharma doesn't want us to look at this or talk about it because um, it means they're not making any money through tablets. But for me, if you don't work on the emotional causes, then the illness is always likely to come back or not get cured or it will come out in another way. So um, every illness has emotional causes. And again, um, in the book, for example, I give the story of the lady who came with back pain. And, you know, she'd had this back pain, a mystery back pain for some time in her lower back. And um, she had even had surgery and they couldn't find anything wrong with her. They took her into hospital, opened her up, couldn't find anything, stitched her back up again and sent her home with painkillers. And she was in constant pain. She was depressed because of the pain. She was depressed because she was a young woman. Uh, She couldn't train at the gym anymore. She was putting weight on. She was just bloody miserable in every way. And this lady was a left brainer. 
Um, she works in the legal profession. She was not interested in past lives and stuff like this. But her subconscious indicated there were four past lives causing the back pain. The first past life was the big one. And um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a big one. She exploded in the session when, when, uh, when, it, when the trauma happened. Do you want me to sort of tell you about the trauma in more depth? Is it, 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 um, yeah, might as, well, might as well tell that story now that you've started it, for sure. Okay, I don't, well, I don't want to, if you've got other questions, I don't want to be... No, that's all right. Just one other thing I want to touch on, I think, afterwards. So, yeah. Tell the... Okay. Well, basically, she saw herself in the past life and again, um, in real detail, as a male young Nazi officer in the Second World War. And she was a young man, maybe about 18, 19, who was very artistic. And he became part of the Nazi war team, which was traveling around Europe, stealing art treasures mm. and shipping them back to Berlin. And that was okay. She, she went through that for some time. But then what happened is, as things got more difficult for the Nazis, she then had to go uh, to the Eastern Front and she was fighting on the Eastern Front in Russia. And at that stage, she was just terrified. This young man was terrified. And uh, she said, at this stage in the session, she, she, uh, she said, we're about 40 miles from Moscow, a little town called Smolensk. Uh, and she even gave me the sort of the month and the year when this was happening, which again, I looked up later on and this was factually true. She said, we're bogged down in the snow. She said, we, it's winter, we can't, it's the winter we can't get through. The, the supplies are not getting through to us. Um, we've got no fuel for the trucks. Um, we, we can't get any closer to Moscow. There are Russian soldiers everywhere. There are skirmishes taking place. There are snipers firing at us. And this young man was really scared. But then what happened is he was then told that in a village behind the Nazi lines, a village that they had captured uh, just a, a mile away, there was an, an icon in a church that may be worth looking at and stealing. So that young man, they'd made the biggest mistake of his life. He thought he was safe. He just jumped on a motorbike without an armed escort, and he travelled to this village. And then what happened was in the session was remarkable because she's laying in the chair, very calm, and she said, I've got off the motorbike. I said, so what's happening now? She said, I've found the church. She said, the village is deserted. It's complete. Nobody around. The streets are quiet. She said, I'm walking into the church, I'm looking for the door, and suddenly she screamed and just leapt about a metre in the air and fell, crashed down onto the floor and started coughing and spluttering and <laughs> groaning and <laughs> moaning. I said, what's happened? She said, I've been shot. <coughs> I've been shot. Well, I mean, it was a shock for me because I, 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 to demonstrate what she did, it was just she she just leapt and screamed. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. a massive shock and bash. She then took about twenty minutes to die, and when and she, she went died, through all that, she went through that in the in your session. In the session, yeah. Right. But one of the features of regression therapy is that we have to clear that energy. So we went back through it several times. The first time, the second time she went through it, again, there was the big impact and the scream and the yell and the falling back and the coughing. Then it took about 10 minutes to die. The third time, a little bit of a jump and five minutes to die. 
The fourth time we went through it, when the bullet went in, she just went <coughs> and died. So that meant we'd release that energy. Guess well, where those the were bullet different went? Sessions, yeah, different each session. Well, this was all in this one session, actually. All in this one session, I see. Sometimes exactly. it takes several sessions. You're right to do this, but this was just in that one session. I do quite long sessions; they're about ninety minutes long. Hmm. So I give the client time to really fully work through stuff. <laughs> to really die multiple times. <laughs> yeah, I often say I've, I've killed many of my clients in the chair. I yeah. see death every day of the week. Um, but the bullet went exactly where the back pain was, exactly where it was. And, um, okay, she came out of trance and was really shocked. I mean, you know, this was a real surprise to her. Um, but she came back a week or so later. The back pain was already about 75% better. And then we worked through the other three past lives very quickly and released them. The back pain was completely cured, completely cured. I had a client in the UK, a 70-year-old man a couple of weeks ago, lower back pain from past lives. He was stabbed in the back in a past life and killed. We worked through that. He sent me an email three days later to say, I cannot thank you enough. The back pain is completely gone. Mm -hmm. So any physical problem, including cancer, has got emotional causes. And if we can work on those emotional causes, then it gives the body a chance to get better. If we and, don't, start to release. Yeah, and, and I guess often the thing with is that these emotional causes are so deep that it's not about just how am I feeling right now. You don't even know that you have those feelings because they're kind of part of the fabric of how we exactly. show up. Yeah. Mm. Yes, very much so. They're normal. You've brought them in with you. You don't know any difference. Yeah. But the freedom that people feel when they've let go of it, it just is transform transformative. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Really important work. Um, yeah. So the other question I was going to ask you, you talk, you have a, one of your um, stories is a man who remembers um, a time <coughs> when he was not exactly a disciple, kind of a disciple, kind of a colleague of Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I was curious whether that is a recurring theme, whether <coughs> Jesus pops up quite often because he's so you know, so many people when they have near-death experiences, for example, um, have visions of a Jesus-like figure. And I guess we can attribute that to the role of Christianity um, in our society, in our culture, in our subconscious. So, yeah, I was curious whether, you know, that was an unusual event or whether Jesus' part-time kind of memories pop up quite regularly. They, they don't come up very often, actually. Um, I've certainly had from memory two people in thousands of sessions who feel that they saw Jesus when he was teaching. Um, and that's all. So again, you would expect, you're quite right, actually, Kim, you would expect the, the, the brainwashing that we've had uh, in our lives about Jesus, you would expect that to come up a lot more often, but it really doesn't. Mm. Um, and certainly that, that particular man, um, I mean, this is, I, I give it in the book because it's an unusual case. He, he wasn't really coming for healing. He, he just was curious about his spiritual path. And he felt that he'd, uh, he was a, a healing sort of monk at the time of Jesus uh, who went through initiation ceremonies uh, in order to grow spiritually and met and actually worked with Jesus, helping people to be healed. 
Um, and his thoughts were that uh, what Jesus was trying to do was to raise the vibrations of the population so that they would be freer. And ultimately, he was disappointed that um, he felt that Jesus hadn't been able to do that. And Jesus was disappointed as well uh, that his mission had failed because people didn't raise the vibrations. So it was an interesting couple of sessions with that man. I'm mm. still not sure what to make of it. I'm really not. I mean, it, was that real? Was that imagined? It's difficult to say. What I will say is that the the way he experienced it felt very real. And having done so many thousands of sessions, I tend to say if it's a fantasy session, I can usually spot it a mile off because the way the client experiences a fantasy as opposed to a real past life, it's quite obvious. The quality of his regression was for me a very real regression experience mm. based on on that sort of way of looking at things. So, uh, but it was curious the way it came through with that information and it, it fitted in in a way with what we know about, you know, the, the communities back then, the spiritual communities, the Essenes, et cetera. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, I found it intriguing because I've, um, uh, you, you might've uh, seen, if you looked at my website, I talk about a, a woman I sort of studied with in England for a while, a, a psychic woman who described herself as a walk-in. Um, I've also interviewed her for my for my podcast, but she um, she talks about remembering past lives spontaneously, and she talks about remembering a past life um, with Jesus, being one of the disciples and and co teachers, and it was quite similar. The, the the things that she described when reading that man's account, um, you know, even his even his mention of talking about sexuality and sexual practices and the way they would go out in groups to teach and heal, um, oh, yeah, this really matched quite okay quite well with her account. That's interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, very interesting. But yeah, but going back to your initial question about do we get lots of Jesus past lives? No. It's unusual, very unusual. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Well, Steve, it's been a really great conversation. That's, that's a really important topic, and um, I love your passion for it. Thank you. That's very kind. How can people um, find your book and work with you if they feel drawn to perhaps experience that kind of work themselves? Okay. Well, the book's available through obviously all the usual channels. It's published by six books. It's called The Power of Past Life Regression. Um, I also have recorded it as an audio book as well um, for those people that love audio books. That, so that's available through Audi Audible and Amazon again, Barnes & Noble, etc. all the usual places. Um, my website is lionheart-training.com. That's lionheart, as in Richard the Lionheart dash training.com um i have a lot of blogs and podcasts on there um i also have a, a wordpress site which is hypnoblogpod.wordpress.com and my facebook page the power of past life regression is there as well what i also like people to do is to go onto my free youtube channel i have uh, a youtube channel with free hypnotherapy recordings on there and that's uh, hypno for all H-Y-P-N-O, the number four, A-L-L, -L, Hypno for All. 
And there's 21 free hypnotherapy recordings that are recorded, all recorded to a very good high professional level. And it's my way of giving hypnotherapy back to the world. Of, you know, it's my way of giving something back to the world. And uh, there are recordings on there to help with irritable bowel, with anxiety, with stopping smoking, weight loss, childbirth with hypnosis, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I just always say to people, if you take nothing away, if you want something free, go on the YouTube channel, Hypno for All, and please subscribe. It's always good for us to get plenty of subscribers, of course. Uh, and, uh, and, and so maybe just uh, how would a person work with that? So if I wanted to go and work with one of those recordings, what would, how would you suggest... I mean, I don't know well, if you instructions on the recording or... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, more or less. I mean, all they do is just close their eyes and relax. Yeah. Basically, it. Yeah. They're just hypnotic suggestion. It's not regression, um, but uh, hypnotic suggestions for visualizations to help to heal the body and mind. Um, and for people to work with me online, if they want online sessions, then it's send me a message at lionheart-training.com. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune seeing us out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies.